On this day, in 1517, Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, and called his fellow professors to examine issues of extreme theological importance. R.C. Sproul says, Thus began the Reformation through which the light of God's Word was brought out of the darkness to shine with clarity once more. R.C. Sproul continues, R.C. Sproul, the the late uh, 21st century theologian, said, uh, being summoned there in Germany, Luther was called upon to recant his views. He answered those who questioned him by saying, Revoco? You want me to say, Revoco, that I recant my views? I will not recant, he said, unless I am convinced by sacred Scripture Or by evident reason, I cannot recant, for my conscience is held captive by the Word of God. And to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. Luther said, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. R.C. Sproul continued, In every generation the Gospel must be published anew with the same boldness, the same clarity, and the same urgency that came forth in that 16th century Reformation. The church has always done this in both the spoken word and through song, producing hymns that tell us of the great salvation that has been brought about by God alone through Christ alone. We're going to look at those five solas that came out of that Reformation. The first one is Scripture alone. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone speaks to us about the uh, sufficient, the inerrant, and the final authority that Scripture has on all things. It is sufficient. God has said that everything that is needed for life and godliness is given to us in His Word. Life here on earth and life everlasting is contained within the Scriptures. It is inerrant. You will find no fault with the original manuscripts that were given under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Scripture is without fault. As it was given by God to man, God said everything that He needed to and it was said in such a way that it is without fault. And it is. Final authority. There is no other authority that exists that can compete with Scripture ever. It does not exist. And anything that would set itself up, anything or anyone that would set itself up as equal to or superior to the Word of God would always be rejected. It is the final authority 
of all things as it is God's Word. We hear that from uh, Psalm 119, verse 89. Psalm, Psalm 119 is this wonderful passage about giving a great credibility and testimony to the Word of God. And at verse 89 it says, Forever, O Lord, Your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Forever, O Lord, Your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. It is in some ways maybe beyond the reach of man to ever even be able, able to tinker with it. But it is also fixed in the heavens much like they would have understand the stars that are always there, always in the same place, always there to guide us. They are immovable. The Word of God remains firmly fixed in the heavens. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that uh, all-familiar passage that speaks of, of the Word of God says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Only Scripture comes under the inspiration of God. You and I might have some good ideas, some good thoughts, but we no longer operate the way the writers of Scripture did. I can't say something to you new here that isn't recorded already in some fashion of Scripture and have it stand as Scripture would stand. Only the Word of God has been inspired. Only that Word stands as the authority because it comes from the very heart of God Himself. All of those things then make it uh, possible so that it would have its full effect on us building us up in maturity because we need to be wise in this age. There's so many things that would stand against Scripture that would lure us away into a sinful life. Truly, even in the days of the Reformation when, uh, preceding that, when, when the church was in that condition, there were many in those days that would stand equal to or above Scripture. They would be the ones that would tell you what you needed to do and it wasn't until the Scriptures were given in the common language and brought to the people in a way that they could understand and then revealed by the Holy Spirit to them that they would understand that it is Scripture alone that stands and no one or nothing else. Second Peter 1.21 gives us this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, many times when we think of prophecy, we think of uh, telling what is to come. A prophecy has a more basic root than that. Prophecy is uh, standing, uh, speaking the very Word of God. And no one else, no one has ever come up with the Word of God on their own. There is, there is no uh, giving of the Word of God except for when the Holy Spirit led people to do that. The prophecy, the, the, the Word of God that we proclaim in these days are not new words, not different words. We may still prophesy, but we would prophesy those things that have already been written and recorded for us. The Word of God stands alone in that sufficient final authority without error. Isaiah 40, verse 8, going back to the Old Testament again, says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Uh, that phrase, that, that, that idea continues to go throughout Scripture. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words never will. 
as he spoke to John, uh, giving him the final revelation, he talked about uh, anybody that would go beyond what is written is not safe and would be condemned as well. Scripture alone stands as the one true word given by God to live a godly life. Nothing else stands in its place. No one else stands with that authority. No one else can come to you and say, this is what you're supposed to do unless it stands with Scripture. You may uh, be able to encourage somebody and rebuke somebody and correct somebody with the Word of God so that it would correct them and bring them back into fellowship uh, with maybe one another, but in particular with God Himself. Scripture alone stands as that one true Word that we have for life in His name. Grace alone. Grace alone. The next sola. I bring nothing, I bring nothing to God that makes me right before Him. It has always been by His grace. You and I are so uh, depraved in our natural human condition that there is nothing about us that would ever bring us into a right relationship with God. There just isn't. If, if we examine ourselves, uh, we know our own tendencies. You wouldn't have to spend much time at all to think about the things that you deal with in your life on a regular basis, your attitudes, your thoughts, uh, your actions, your words. I don't have to go very far with any of those things to realize that I've got a very broken nature about me and there's nothing within me on my own that would make me right before God, that would give me a good standing with Him. That's true for all of mankind. The Bible is a story of God's grace from cover to cover. I was, I was asked once um, in a small group gathering, uh, to, to explain what the Bible has to say about grace. Uh, that's a big task to take up. Uh, truly, all of Scripture is a story of God's grace. And it starts from the very beginning. Uh, by grace, He created everything so that we could exist with Him. And by grace, when mankind fell into sin, He provided a way that we wouldn't be cut off forever. The garments of skin that He gave were a symbol of grace by God. The fact that He removed them from the garden so they couldn't access a tree of life so that they would live in a perpetual state of, of fallenness before Him was an act of grace. When God came and destroyed the world with a flood, instead of letting evil persist in, his, in the way it did on the earth, it was His grace he saved one righteous family by His grace and rebuilt the world so it would continue to unfold as God had planned it. Uh, scripture is just full of God's grace. Romans 3, 23 and 24 uh, gives us that idea of uh, our own condition, for all have sinned, it says, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Everyone has sinned. Every one of us has sinned. If it was on our own merit, no one would be saved. No one. No one has ever stood on their own righteous relationship in the face of God. Not one Bible character has ever had within themselves what they need to stand before a righteous and holy God. Paul goes on in Ephesians 2, verses 1-9, through 9, talking about our, our condition. So then you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. I want you to notice the difference that Paul paints, this this picture that Paul paints there between who we are and who God is and the grace that He gives. He started out by saying, you were dead. When it comes to being Uh, having eternal life, how do the dead people choose life? It's impossible. We didn't have anything to do with our own being brought into this world. We didn't choose when uh, we wanted to be born into this world as the people that we are. That was an act outside of ourselves. In the same way, uh, we don't choose eternal life. We were dead in our sins and separated from God. We were, as it said, following the course of this world. We were all living that way. We were by nature, just by who we are being sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we were in our very nature born as children of wrath. Paul paints a very clear picture. And we were like that, like the rest of mankind. And did you catch that next phrase after that? But God, this is who we are naturally as we come into this world. But God, God is rich in mercy. He loves us even when we were dead and He made us alive in Christ. And just so we don't forget that, He says, it is by grace 
that we have been saved. So much so that he made sure he said it twice. In case you missed it, it is by grace that we are saved. We didn't bring anything on our own to the table when it came to our salvation before our standing before our holy God. It is by grace we have been saved. The Apostle John in chapter 1 at verse 16 uh, speaks of it this way. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Some people, even when they realize what the Bible teaches, have a hard time grasping the concept that God's grace would be sufficient for them. By God's grace, they could be saved. There are those that would believe what Scripture preaches and teaches, and yet they would think they are unworthy to receive it. I'm here to remind us, brothers and sisters, that there's not one gathered here or one gathered anywhere else on the face of the earth at any point in time or place that has ever been worthy to receive what God has for us. That's why it is by His grace alone. His grace is that which we do not deserve. And what a wonderful thing that is to be reminded of that no matter how bad we think we are, His grace will cover that. You don't have to believe that you are worthy of it. Truly, the opposite would be true. You and I need to believe that we're not worthy of it and receive that grace and God's grace alone. It is, uh, as the song says, it is an amazing grace. We're going to remain seated and reflect on this idea of God's grace alone in the song Amazing Grace.
It is by Scripture alone, by grace alone, and now through faith alone. My deeds, your deeds, your works, my works, our efforts cannot save us. We live by faith. On the other side of the coin of of God's grace and those that think they may not be able to accept it is the the issue that uh, the issue of of faith over works. If if I do enough things, if I if I act a certain way, if I'm good enough, then where I where I wasn't before, maybe if I do enough good things, then God will look on me with favor. This idea that even though I have nothing in me. Maybe I can build some of those things so that God will accept me. And that would be in contrary to the Word of God. Galatians 2, at verse 16, says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. If, if, if salvation were a matter of what I do, what we do, how many of us would be saved? Where, where is good enough? Truly, the people that would say, I'm never good enough to receive God's grace, well, they have that correct. But then there are those that say, I'm not, I'm not good enough then for salvation, so I'll work for it. Maybe if I could do some good things, maybe if I would just obey everything that's written here, I would be saved. Well, if anybody could, and yet that doesn't happen. There isn't anybody that's been able to uphold all these things and no one has been able to keep enough things to be saved. Where is the standard then? What level is good enough? I may get this far in my good works and somebody else does better. Does that mean they're saved, I'm not? There will be somebody that outdoes them. Which level is good enough for you and I to to do things that we might be saved? And the answer from Scripture is there isn't a level that you and I can attain to that would save us. Nothing would be good enough because you and I could never do it perfectly. The rebuke that often came against the Pharisees in Jesus' day was just that. They were trying to, in their own strength, keep everything that seemed to have been written down maybe even adding a few more things to it. And yet, uh, their hearts were still so far from God. Even in their doing, they weren't getting any closer to God. There isn't anything that could be done. The, The level is not for us to set. Although God has always required a full obedience to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor fully, even as yourself. No one 
has ever gotten to that level yet. No one on earth, no one born of man could do that. It isn't possible for us. We are corrupt even by our nature. Paul says to the Philippian church in chapter 3, starting at verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision, uh, those people that have been set apart by God, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, those things that we would try to do on our own. Though I myself, Paul speaking, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, and that again being the things that we we do, I have more, he says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, he says, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. In Paul's eyes in his day, if, if there was anybody that had the right to uh, stand before God on the works that they have done, Paul said, I'm the example for you. And he lists all the different things that would give him right standing, not only with God, but above other people. He goes on to list his pedigree, if you will, of all the things that he is and all the things that he has done, even to the point where he says, I am right before God in the fact that I persecute the church. He believed that what he was doing was right in God's eyes. He thought, He was all that until one day when he met Jesus. And he said, everything I thought I had was nothing. It's all just rubbish. It didn't amount to anything until I came to know Christ Jesus. Paul didn't have anything on his own. He would go on to say in the book of Romans that verse chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel after he has realized his own uh, condition and how Christ met him on the road. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Living by faith is not the idea of stepping out into the unknown. On the contrary, living by faith is following that uh, pathway, that well-laid-out pathway that God has for us and trusting in His way, not just stepping out blindly, but following in faith the path that He has for us, not taking every other possible diversion on the road, but staying 
on the one true path laid out for us by his word and following in his word, that uh, living word, uh, Jesus in the flesh, following that pathway. And with that, God has given us all kinds of guideposts along the way to make sure that we don't go off there. All of those things marked out in His Word to keep us in line, keep us so that we can live by faith and not by sight, not saying something over here or over there that looks tempting, that looks like it may be a good way as well. Not that. It's living by faith. With that, we will respond uh, in song as we remain seated once again. With my faith looks up to thee. Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, and now through Christ alone. And salvation is found nowhere else. Uh, That is the clear call of Scripture all throughout, that everything from the Old Testament would point towards what God would reveal to His people in the New Testament of, of Jesus Christ coming as the one that would redeem the fallen people and be their salvation. And it's only in Him. Again, it isn't by what we do. It would be in Christ alone. This is what uh, divides Christianity, sets us apart from every other religion on the face of the earth. We believe that salvation is through one man, the, the sovereign man, the, the God-man, Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus and. Salvation doesn't come in Jesus and me doing these things and then I'm saved. The Galatians would have been guilty of that. People still today fall into that trap. If I, if I have my faith in Jesus Christ and I do enough, I will be good in His sight. It's not Jesus and, and it's not Jesus or. There's not another substitute that you could put in His place either. You can't say, well, you say it's Jesus, but I say it's Buddha, or I say it's Muhammad, or I say it's a following this teaching or that person, or this ideology. It isn't Jesus or, like you get to choose, It's not Jesus and, well, I believe Jesus, but I kind of like what this teaching has to say too. Scripture would also talk about those that would follow Jesus and something or someone else or some other teaching, and it doesn't work. You cannot mix Jesus and 
and come up with anything but an empty hand. It doesn't work. If you have Jesus and, you have nothing. If it's Jesus or, you have nothing. If it's Jesus alone, you have everything. It's always been in Christ alone. Look at Romans 8, that wonderful passage there. Romans 8, the first three verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In Jesus Christ alone are our sins covered. We all come into this world with a with a natural bent to sin. Every one of us. And it doesn't take long when you've got these cute little kids running around to find out how much they're created in Adam's image as well as God's. We are broken from birth. But only in Christ are we set free from that. The law couldn't do it. Trying to, trying to do those things on my own, trying to follow another set of teachings wouldn't work. It can't be mixed with anything. It can't be separated from anything. It has to be in Christ alone. The beginning of Hebrews, the first three verses there at chapter 1. I love this passage. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is... Jesus, He is the radiance and the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus now, after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. No one else deserves that seat next to the Father except for the one who would set His people free and any that would come to Him and accept that by faith. Jesus Christ alone. No one else. No one else could possibly do that. That's where the sacrifices that were given in the Old Testament were something that would point toward a perfect sacrifices. Scripture says the the sacrifices of bulls and goats would never actually remove your sins, but as you have faith in a sacrifice for your sins, it would lead you to Jesus Christ. The one who never sinned, never blemished, People were giving blemished sacrifices for a while. And Jesus came and did away with all that. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way, brothers and sisters. Uh, As much as we affirm that to be true, sometimes we can get caught up in uh, ways that would bring us to the Jesus and. We're probably not as prone to in our, in our growing up to Jesus or, but we could be subject to that uh, diversion of Jesus and. But it was only Jesus and Jesus alone. When Peter and John were being examined by the religious uh, leaders regarding their authority, they said there in Acts chapter 4 at verse 10, <clears throat> Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is not another way at all. Scripture just repeats that over and over and over. And the verses that we are going through here today are just a small snippet of the fullness of what Scripture would say about all of these things. If there were another way of salvation for mankind, then all of Scripture, the entire plan and purpose of God, is of no value. If there were another way of salvation, then all of Scripture, the entire plan and purpose of God is of no value and Christ had died for nothing. It has always been in Christ alone and that will be our response as we sing in Christ alone.
And can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. All things to the glory of God alone. Because God has provided all we need for life and godliness. His eternal word, His irresistible grace, His gift of faith, all through the work of Christ His Son, all glory belongs to Him and no other. There will be people throughout the ages that would try to steal glory for themselves. Even the angels recognized that when glory was being given to them, they would say, don't do that. Don't worship me. I'm not worthy. I am a servant with you. All glory belongs to God alone. Isaiah 43 at verse 5 says, Fear not. Isaiah 43, what a wonderful passage to uh, resonate. Let it wash over you. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Isaiah said earlier in chapter 42 at verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, he said. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God is a jealous God in that sense that He will not let anybody else have what rightly belongs to Him. It would not serve uh, that person that's receiving it to any uh, good. It would not serve the one who's giving the praise to anything other than to anyone other than God. It would be an empty praise. It would be glory that is misplaced. It's only when God receives the glory that we find uh, fullness in Him. Psalm 115, which has a special place in my life. At verse 1 it says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory for the sake of Your steadfast love and faithfulness. And you could add on to that list, Uh, countless things, not just His love, not just His faithfulness, His grace, His mercy, His truth, His his justice, His wrath, all of those things, and so many more are what brings us to the place of giving Him glory. It isn't about me. It isn't about you. It's all about giving glory to God in everything that we do, whether whether we eat or sleep or drink or work, everything we do for the glory of God. Paul, I think, was just uh, overcome at one point in talking about God that he breaks into, in the middle of what he's saying, he breaks into this 
doxology, this, this giving glory to God at Romans 11, 33 and 36. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Everything comes from God, through God, to us and to His glory in the person of Jesus Christ. Everything is all about the glory of God. It's a wonderful life to live. Living with these things that we count as these things alone that, that mark our existence as not just being a Christian Reformed church, we have this wonderful heritage in our, in our history. What a wonderful way to, to come through uh, the challenges of our time. But these things are the things that would keep us, um, in that sense, being reformed. Constantly bringing these things back into uh, view in our, in our own daily walk. And so, I want to lead us back into a quick summary of all of these things with one quick, simple phrase and to which, if you agree with what, with what the Word of God has been teaching us this morning, I want you to give your amen. There is no other authority that stands above the Word of God. Amen. My broken condition makes me rely on God's grace alone. Amen. My works and effort have never contributed to my salvation. It is only by faith alone. Amen. And there is salvation in only the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And my life exists not to bring any recognition to myself or anyone else, but only for the glory of God alone. Amen. Father, that is our affirmation once again today that Your Scripture has proven all of these things to us and we have only touched on a few of them. Your Word is filled up and overflowing with things that would again uh, reiterate all of these things that we have uh, reviewed again this morning. And all the stories that are built into these things are different examples of, of how those things work themselves out. Your grace, your faithfulness to us, your word that continues to exist, everything pointing to Jesus and everything then for your glory. And so, Father, we are humbled to be considered Your children. And we make that affirmation again today that our lives are always being reformed by these things. We take all of these things and shape our lives with them and with the fullness of Your Word so that in all things, all glory may come to You. It is in Jesus Christ, our only Savior, in which we pray. Amen.